Good morning. Welcome to Christ Church. We are the Sanchez family. My name is Daniel. I'm Naomi. We are so glad you can join us this morning. Whether you are a regular attender or you are new to our community, you are so, so welcome to Christ Church. We are so blessed that you are here with us. And um, like the psalmist said, better one day in your course than a thousand elsewhere. Now, let us enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Amen. Let us worship the eternal God, the source of love and life who creates us. Let us worship Jesus Christ, the risen one who lives among us. Let us worship the Holy Spirit, the holy fire who transforms us. God of all creation, we humbly come before you with praise. Through the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, come, let us worship God.
Friends, we are now invited to bring our prayers, our laments, and our confessions before God. Let us pray. Dear God, teach us your ways, Lord. Teach us your ways. Father, you have shown us the way of life through your son, Jesus Christ. We confess with shame our slowness to learn from him. We confess our failure to follow him. We confess our reluctance to bear the cross. Have mercy on us, Lord, and forgive us. Forgive us for not reaching out and lifting up those who are marginalized in our culture and our society. Forgive us for being blind to the injustices experienced by people of color in this world. Forgive us for not loving our neighbor as ourselves. Forgive us for not including those in our circles who are different from us. Forgive us for not speaking truth to power, for not giving voice to the voiceless and strength to those who are suffering. Forgive us for being quick to judge and make assumptions about others with no real understanding of what they're going through. Forgive us, Father, for not acknowledging that other people have a very different experience in our world that is both hurtful and disparaging. Lord, have mercy. Help us, Father. We lift up these prayers in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Dear friends, hear these words of assurance. God did not send his beloved son Jesus into this world to condemn the world. God sent his beloved son Jesus to save the world. And so to all who confess their sins and believe in the redeeming mercy of God, I say, your sins are forgiven. Let us now proclaim what it is that we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Please join me in prayer once again. Dearest Father, we humbly come before you this morning in prayer. We love you, Father. We are grateful for all that you provide for us. We are grateful that you love us so much that you gave us Jesus to come into our lives, to love us, to walk with us, and to teach us. Father, today we are sad. We are downcast and we are brokenhearted. We continue to grieve and mourn over the loss of life of George Floyd and so many, many others who have suffered and have lost their lives unnecessarily. We grieve and mourn over policemen and women who have served this country with such bravery and commitment, but have also lost their lives in the line of duty. We grieve and mourn over the violence and destruction that we have witnessed in our streets, affecting the safety of innocent people. We grieve and mourn over the loss of property and businesses, just as shopkeepers and shop owners were starting to reopen after our quarantine. We grieve and mourn over the judgment and anger that seems to boil over at every turn, every social media post and every headline. Father, we ask you to teach us once again the ways of Jesus. Help us to have hearts of mercy. Help us to lift up those who need us. Help us to be vessels of peace and love and mercy. Help us to love all people, people of color, poor people, people who are afflicted and people in trouble. Help us to have hearts of compassion, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with Jesus. Father, as our country tries to move forward, we pray that we are part of the solution. We pray that this is a true tipping point in American society where there are real structural changes in our culture. We pray for justice, safety, and health for all people in our country. And lastly, Father, let us remember that we are still in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, that COVID-19 is still with us. Help us to remember and grieve the hundreds of thousands of people who have lost their lives to this virus. Help us to care for ourselves, our loved ones, and our communities. We pray for a vaccine. We pray for safety for all people. And now let us join together and pray the prayer that Jesus taught us praying. Our, Our Father, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Dear friends, while we in the States continue to experience the impact of COVID-19 on our economy, our health, and our daily rhythms of our lives, our global mission partners have reported a whole different experience with this pandemic and COVID-19. In places like Africa, India, and Cambodia, it's not only the virus that is claiming lives. 
in these under-resourced nations, it is the interruption of the food supply chain that is causing massive starvation. The situation for our brothers and sisters around the globe is truly heartbreaking. But thanks to your faithful giving, we have been able to help. Our global mission partners are reaching out and providing monies to the poorest of poor. One such mission partner is Dr. Emmanuel from Nigeria. Here now you'll get a glimpse of the good work that Dr. Emmanuel is doing with his people and COVID-19 during this pandemic. This is Dr. Emmanuel Uduayemi, President of Life Without Mrs. International, Lagos, Nigeria. Uh, I just want to give you some report of what we have been able to do as our own response to the fight against COVID-19. And in Nigeria, so many families have been affected. In fact, Lagos is the epicenter of this problem in Nigeria. We decided to produce those things that people will need to use to avoid contracting or spreading the virus. So the first thing we did was to produce, produce a, uh, a 500 ml hand sanitizer locally made. We put a local on it, a label on it. We've given this to over 2,000 families. People were hungry because of the lockdown. So many, many families could not actually have access to food. So we decided to produce this one. This is uh, uh, six kilograms of rice. We put a label on it and we gave it to several families so that people can have food to eat. So we've done all of this in order to respond and to help, you know, stem the tide of this big, dangerous uh, epidemic. It's our hope that with this, many families have been saved, many homes have been uh, served and ministered to, and individuals who are also vulnerable have been you know, secured or saved from contracting this virus. But we really need more because once we want to reach out to more people, it's our belief that if we can do more, we'll be able to save more lives and, uh, and protect more families. We want to thank those of you who have partnered with us, who have helped us financially to be able to do this. We also pray that the Lord will bless you. Thanks to your faithful giving, we've already been able to send emergency funds to five of our most affected partners in Kenya, Nigeria, Rwanda, India, and the Dominican Republic. But there is still more work to be done. Please know that when you give to Christ Church, you're not only giving to your own neighborhoods, but to our 80 global mission partners around the world. Thank you for your faithful giving. And now let us pause to thank God for his provision for these people who are suffering and poor and needy and to present his tithes and our offerings.
Well, good morning and a warm welcome once again to all of you to this special time of worship. I hope already you found uh, God's peace uh, flooding into you, and I pray that as we go forward this morning, uh, his wisdom will provide you with tools for the days to come. Uh, I want to say a, a special personal thank you to the uh, some 600 households of Christ Church family that participated this past Thursday in our online town hall. And if you were not able to be part of that, I want you to also know that by going to the homepage of our website and clicking on Moving Forward, uh, you can gain access to what was talked about there and actually watch a video of the entire town hall experience. I hope you'll uh, do that and catch up on uh, how we're thinking about our ministry these days, what plans we have for reopening in the days to come. Uh, do check that out. As Lisa suggested to us uh, just a moment ago, one of the greatest values in the life of our church family is extending the life-changing love of Jesus Christ to other people. Uh, we know that that kind of love is God's great passion and priority, and a single glance at the life of Jesus makes that abundantly clear. Uh, not only through the giving that you, you do to the uh, funds of Christ Church, but also through special drives, we express that kind of love. Uh, in personal ways to those around us. And I want you to know that we are now mounting yet another supply drive that will continue through July the 31st. If you'd like to be part of that, you can. It's a way of rolling up your sleeves and practicing the love of Jesus for those who are in special need at this time. And we welcome you to join us uh, in that endeavor. Among the range of redemptive actions uh, that many of us are taking during this season, uh, one of the most significant, particularly for those of us that belong to predominantly white churches, is to listen with fresh ears to the voices of our brothers and sisters within the black community. I know that many of you have been trying to do that. You're praying, you're learning, you're engaging, you're seeking to acknowledge uh, and to act in creative ways. But also there rises up the question of sort of how do I do that? Who should I be listening to? How do I know that the voices that I'm listening to are reliable? Well, next Sunday during the message portion of our uh, weekend services, uh, I'm going to introduce you to a conversation between uh, an amazing spiritual father and a, a younger uh, person of the faith, a young leader, uh, who is struggling to understand our times and what to do in the midst of them. And if you've been looking for a really reliable viewport into uh, our nation's history, into the swirl of events going on right now, I want to encourage you to be sure to be with us next weekend to listen to this remarkable conversation. Uh, you're going to find uh, practical insights. You're going to understand more fully how you can be a constructive part, along with me and many others, uh, to bringing about an even more redemptive outcome in our nation's life uh, during this season. And now, without further ado, I want to invite you to open your heart with me as the Reverend Rick Gleiman leads us further into the heart of God himself and into the message that God's word brings to us. Thank you, Pastor Dan. And welcome again to all of you who are joining us for worship this morning. I'm so glad that you're here. We get the privilege and the opportunity to share together in God's holy word again today. That's a freedom that we enjoy in this country, and I pray that we'll always have that. 
We're continuing actually finishing our series, our springtime series we've entitled Unexpected. And today we're looking at the very end of the book of Ruth where an unexpected future unfolded before her that none of them could have predicted at the earlier part of this book. Friends, hear the word of the Lord from Ruth chapter 4 verses 13 through 17. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and began, became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in a moment of prayer? as we invite the Holy Spirit who inspired these words to be written and all the words in the Bible for our benefit and understanding, may he give us the illumination to understand what he's speaking to us all and then also ask him for the power to live into it. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word that helps us, guides us, corrects us, and challenges us. We ask you this very day that your spirit will illuminate the words that you've given to us that will hear them as you meant them to be heard, that will heed them as you meant them to be heeded, and that will be empowered by that same spirit to live them out in our everyday life. We ask you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're navigating in times like this through one of the darker seasons of life. We're engulfed in this thing this morning. It's swirling around us. We don't know where the next thing is going to come at us from Times like that, when the future seems very unclear or fuzzy at best, and even tried and true answers to life situations don't seem to be holding water, this is the kind of time we need to turn our attention even more fully to the one source of truth, to the one objective perspective on reality, the one light that will never be dimmed by the darkness that human frailty and sin have brought on this earth. And that bright shining light is the word of God itself. Jesus said in his teachings, if we will continue in his word, then we will know the truth. And that truth will liberate us. That truth will set us free. The psalmist back in the 119th Psalm captured the power of the word of God in this way, saying, your word is like a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. It really shows us how life should be lived. If there's ever been a time when we need to refresh our minds, our souls, and our whole lives with a large dose of God's word, this is that time, friends. Unfortunately, the Bible's been thrown out of schools a long time ago. It's been out of the public discourse for a very long time. Is it any wonder that God's ways and desires are being violated and ignored at a scale that I've never seen in my lifetime before? Friends, I'm going to encourage us to turn off the news, watch it, get the gist of what's going on, but to tune in to God's holy word a lot more and feed our souls deeply so we can have the strength <clears throat> to do what God calls us to do in this time. 
Like it was in the time of Judges, which our reading from Ruth comes from, actually. It says these words, In those days Israel did not have a king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. This was said four different times in the book of Judges to make the point. It was a time when these people didn't really care what God had to say or were interested in knowing what his wishes were, and they just became a law to themselves, and it created chaos. Speaking of a dim view of the Bible, as our culture may have, many years ago when Benjamin Franklin was the ambassador to France, he occasionally attended this thing called the Infidels Club there in France. It was a group that spent most of their time searching for and reading literary masterpieces. Franklin was indignant when he heard that this learned group of men ridiculed the Bible and expressed surprise that anyone would waste their time opening the pages of that book. So one day Franklin announced that he had a copy of a very ancient manuscript and invited them to hear it read. They listened and they praised it heartily And even the most critical of them said, this is a masterpiece. Where in the world did you find this? Can we get copies of it? Imagine their astonishment when Franklin revealed with a little twinkle in his eye that they had been listening to one of the 66 books of this collection called the Bible for which they had such contempt. And that one book was the book of Ruth that we're studying here today. Unfortunately, most people that reject the word of God have not actually read it. They had not actually opened the pages up to see what God is about, who he is and what he really desires. I pray, God, that we will be ones who open it often during the season. Some years back, there was a movie called Three Weddings and a Funeral. You might remember that one. But Ruth is actually a book that starts with three funerals and ends up with one wedding at the end. It starts out, and I believe this is really a simple thing, in the darkest places for certain individuals, Naomi, and for Ruth. And then we see a redeemer emerge on the scene, Boaz, who pictures Jesus. And the end of the story is a great celebration for us. I believe the book of Ruth is like a Cliff Notes version of God's redemptive plan, which is sown through all of Scripture from the beginning of Genesis all the way to the end of Revelation. And I remember being in school, I liked what I could find a Cliff Notes version of a book I was supposed to study. Maybe some of you have never heard of that. It's a condensation, a summarization in really succinct form that could educate you about a book. Well, Ruth is that. It captures in four short, four short chapters the message of their other 66 books in the Bible. It really is a revelation of the grace of God and how it works out in people's lives. And I've I've read of grace being captured with this simple terminology. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. The transformation we see in Ruth's life was profound and permanent. I want to share some of what happened to her from the beginning of Ruth to the end. Ruth's sorrow turned to joy. Her toil, laboring as a mere laborer, laborer turned to rest. Her poverty, her abject poverty with no hope for resolution, turned to wealth. Her worry, her concerns about her future, about her livelihood, about her sustenance, turned to great assurance. She came to this place where she was concerned and despaired and couldn't see the bright future ahead, but it turned to bright hope, not just for her, but for the whole human race ultimately through her. Her loneliness, emptiness turned to love, and her barrenness, Her lack of ability to have a child was turned to fruitfulness as she gave birth to a son. Friend, this is the power I see 
of amazing grace working in Ruth's life. And it pictures exactly what God wants for all of us. Jesus, who's our kinsman redeemer or our Boaz in the story, said in John chapter 10, he said, I've come here, I've come from heaven down to earth, that they might have life and have it to its full. Ruth's transformation was that full life that Jesus wanted for her, pictured in her that he wants for us. And friends, from where we sit here in June of 2020, this year, we need some good news to look forward to. These times we are living in are the most unusual and challenging of my six plus decades on this planet so far. And I suspect many of you, if not all of you, feel the very same way. But friends, do we realize the times in which we are living? Way back in the Bible in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, there's an obscure verse that says this, that the men of Issachar, these men understood the signs of the times and they knew the best course for Israel to take. Do we comprehend yet the times in which we are living? Friends, I'm convinced that history will surely remember 2020. The only question that remains is, how will history remember the year of 2020? Will this be the worst year in our history? Or might it just possibly be, with much needed changes taking place, our finest hour? Our great nation, which we all love dearly, is going through a transformation right before our eyes. And friends, I'm one who believes that America can come out of this much greater than it ever was before. We have the opportunity to bring about great healing and restoration to many, many people. These are the people Jesus loves dearly. People who Jesus laid his life down to save on the cross, to give a better life to that abundant life I've just mentioned. I fear that so many Christians feel today, though they know the truth, they know the scriptures, feel like, what can we actually do? How can we make a difference? What, what can we possibly do about this? Well, friends, our scripture passage today will help us understand that one person can make a huge difference. And when we reunite, we can make history-changing differences in our world today. It simply begins, friends, with treating every single human being with respect, with dignity, with compassion, and with love, especially those that are different than us. The way Boaz treated Ruth, an outsider, somebody from another land, somebody that was viewed as cursed by God, actually. We're going to come to that in a little bit. He treated her with that, and there was transformation. Some years back, talking about one person making an influence of great magnitude, my parents got married in the late 40s, had three children in the very early 50s up till 1952, and then for five consecutive years, my mother got pregnant and had a miscarriage. She lost five children in five years. And out of that brokenness and out of all of that pain, her determination was unwavering. She prayed a simple prayer to God. She said, Lord, if you will give me another child, I will dedicate him to you. In the year of 1957, I was born. In 1959, my younger brother Paul was born in answer to that prayer. Little did we know growing up and becoming teenagers that prayer that my mother had prayed for us. And I'm sure she was doubting whether it had really been answered when she saw the antics that Paul and I were involved in in our teen years. But from our late teens, God has called both of us into pastoral ministry, lives we never considered as children, as young people, to be serving other people. One woman 
with a determination and a simple prayer has affected positive change for many. So back to our scripture. In verse 13, it says, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Pretty simple. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. A really simple statement, but there's so much power in this. It says, God helped her conceive. This is very significant in my view, maybe even on the wedding night. She'd gone through 10 years of a marriage to a decent human being, and they never produced a child. And then possibly even on the wedding night, she conceives. But it says that God, the creator, was involved in the creating of this human life. And I believe he is the one who is involved in creating all human life at the moment of conception. That every life matters. From the unborn to every single person on earth, period. If God created a person, we dare not treat them with anything but respect, dignity, care, and concern. And if God is the one who created racial diversity on this earth, he did it for very good reasons. His reasons. To reject anybody that God has created is to reject God. This union of Ruth and Boaz produced a son. And not just any son. This son, Obed, became the grandfather of King David. That's a pretty big deal. And in the lineage of Jesus Christ, which is detailed in Matthew, I don't know about you, but when you open the Bible, if you started with the book of Matthew, which I did many years ago, someone handed me a New Testament and there was Matthew. And this is supposed to be great stuff. And I'm reading this long genealogy. I'm like, what on earth? What, what does this have to do with me? What difference could this possibly make? But I understand better now. Why does it matter? Because details matter to God. Because every person matters to God. All those people listening to those genealogies were significant, chosen, and called by God for a purpose, as each one of us are. See, order and structure and planning matter to God. There's no accidents in God's will. Nothing is left to chance. The future of the human race, back in the story of Ruth, for all time was at stake. And God left nothing to chance here. Jesus went on to say in his teachings, even the hairs of our heads are numbered. God really is in control of human history and each human being answers to him. So there's a clear salvation message of redemption we see working in the book of Ruth because that's what a redeemer does. It takes somebody who cannot extricate themselves or get themselves out of a situation by their own power, uses their power, their influence, their resources to take that person to that better place. Friends, Jesus is really good at saving us. He's really good at redeeming us. And he can make something beautiful out of any life, including any of ours who feel like we are a mess today. Back to the wedding. We have exactly zero details in the scripture about Boaz and Ruth's wedding. Now, that's amazing to me because nothing about Ruth's dress or the flowers or the celebration. And I think that's probably because this account was likely written by the prophet Samuel, a man who those details weren't important to Samuel. But what is so important about it? Well, this wedding foreshadows the marriage of Jesus to his bride, the church, in Revelation chapter 19. We're going to come back to that in a few minutes. As we recall from chapter 1 in Ruth, though, we saw Naomi lost her husband and two sons, which was very sad. She was beyond childbearing age. She was envisioning a life alone. She was alone and she was destitute. Ruth had been widowed as well and had no children. She was alone and destitute. But through the process 
of redemption, Ruth was able to marry and give birth to a, a son and start an entirely new life. That's how powerful God's redemption is. He lets us start all over again from wherever we've gotten ourselves, navigated ourselves, shipwrecked our lives. He gives us a chance to start completely over again. Now, because this book is kind of like a Hallmark movie with a happily ever ending story at the end of it, uh, it's called a love story, which that it is, but it's far greater than that alone in my view. It shows God's desire to redeem all peoples of the earth. So starting with Abraham on, God had blessed the lives of the people of Israel exclusively through his covenant with them. Yet the sovereign God made exceptions along the way and Ruth is one of them. A Moabite, a foreigner, a Gentile, an idolater, an outsider. This should give us great encouragement about how all-encompassing God's grace really is. Ruth's redemption story is an early indicator in my view that God did not only want to save Israel, but he also wanted to save everyone in the world. He wanted the entire world, every nation, kindred, tongue, and people to be included in his eternal family. I believe God made all this happen to reveal his heart that all people are welcome, all races, ethnicities, tribes, the poor, the rich. Jesus died for all kinds of people and all kinds of sinners that we all are. Ruth was that hated, cursed by God Moabite, and she became a mother in the line of Jesus himself. And as some has pointed out, she's the only woman in the Bible named as a virtuous woman. Pretty amazing. It's significant because Ruth was elevated from being poor, destitute, broken down, and rejected to being a shining inspiration for everyone who may be or feel marginalized. Through her, all those who are far off have been invited to come in. God is working through this story even to this day. But something happened along the way in the book of Ruth. Ruth changed her mind about her faith. And she chose the God of Israel, a really, really good choice, when she was still in Moab. And Ruth's choice changed everything for her and ultimately for all of us too. May we be encouraged by Ruth's lead and make decisions to follow the Lord she chose sincerely, wholeheartedly, and obediently as she did. Her good choices led to her world being changed. And she herself, because of her offspring, became a world changer, my friends. We need to make those kind of choices today in our time to become a world changer, a world changing group of Christians on the earth today. In our very tumultuous time, friends, right now it might be hard to see a good ending like the book of Ruth ending up that way. But just like that book, the whole redemption of the story of the Bible, which is the rest of the chapters in the whole Bible, we look at it, God's story isn't over yet. We are still in the middle of that somehow. We don't know where we're at in that spectrum in God's eternal economy, but we're still in the middle and God's story has not been finished. The great news that we know for certain is the end of our story, the end of the history of the human race on this earth is very, very good. Now, I don't know how many of you are sports fans, but during this time of COVID where there's no live sports, or at least that I, the ones I followed, certainly not baseball, and it certainly wasn't basketball, but it's been marvelous that the sports channels need to put something up. So they've been putting up the old championship seasons of the White Sox. They broadcast only winning games day after day after day. And then the four winning games of the World Series and the Bulls championships were chronicled in many different ways. It's so relaxing 
to sit and watch great games being played when you know the outcome is going to be good. I remember watching those same games, usually around Father's Day, this time of year with the Bulls in the championships, in the NBA finals. It was always so tense. It was always so stressful. And the other team would go ahead, whether it's Utah, the Lakers, or Portland, or whoever else it was. It was terribly stressful, and it was just a relief that they, they won. And they did win, and they won six of them. Friends, you know, I think we need to begin looking just a little bit further forward to the glimpses God gives us of our ultimate redemption during this time. That we can have this thing called hope, even in the midst of the current struggle. See, the scriptures talk about hope being the anchor for our souls. We need something holding us down when the waves are large, when the winds are beating against the ships of our lives. We need something holding us in place. And that very thing is hope. Positive expectation of a good thing ultimately coming for us. One day when the Prince of Peace, whom we serve and love now, will be fully in charge. That day, in that day with a capital D, there will be no more sickness, no more disease, no more pandemic or pain or sadness or death. There will be no more hatred, no more racial prejudice, no more violence, and there will be that perfect justice that we long for and yearn for in our time. But we can take, in God's beautiful plan here, a sneak peek, a preview into what that day is going to look like. When we see movies, when we go back to theaters to see them anyway, you usually get 20 minutes of previews and you get all these ideas of different movies. God actually gives us the end of the story in the book of Revelation. I want to share a passage out of Revelation 7 where God takes the Apostle John when he was exiled on the island of Patmos and gets him into heaven and shows him around what's going on up there. Here's what it says in Revelation 7 verse 9. After this, John speaking, I looked... And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then to this picture, jogging forward, just a few more chapters in Revelation where John gets to see the end. It says these words in uh, Revelation chapter 19, the marriage supper, the marriage of Jesus to his bride. And this is such a powerful thing, I just want to read it aloud for us. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And then this verse, For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Wow, that last phrase, as I prepared this message and I was linking the two, the marriage of Ruth and Boaz to the marriage supper of the Lamb to the church. And that last phrase just stunned me. It's so very profound. It says that the saints, the church, were clothed with good deeds. They were clothed with, clothed with righteous deeds. Do you hear what this is saying? We're saved by grace through our faith, to be sure, plus nothing. That is absolutely true. But what we do matters greatly Jesus so greatly 
is that our righteous actions are the adornment in heaven on that very special day. Think of the preparations for brides on this earth, the amazing amount of time and energy and, and money that's spent to look great on that day, to make it a very special day. Our adornment for our wedding to Jesus is what we do for him here. Jesus pointed very clearly to this understanding in the parable he gave us in Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats. I encourage you to read it sometime if you haven't read it recently. I can't go in deeply to it today. But he summed it up by simply saying, whatever you did, in actions or inaction, to the least of these, my brethren, you did to me. And friends, this begs the obvious question for our time right now. What are we doing or failing to do to the least, to the broken, to the oppressed, and those being treated unjustly in our time? The scary thing about this parable in Matthew 25 is the goats, the ones who Jesus said missed it all, said, what, what, when did we see that? Uh, when did that happen? I, I, when did we see you suffering? When did we see you naked or poor or in prison and needing help? When did we see that? And Jesus said, Whatever you did to other people, you were doing to me. Friends, may this never be said of us. May we not miss what's right in front of us. May we open our hearts and our minds and our hands to those in our midst whom Jesus loves so very much that need his love. They need his understanding. They need his grace. Well, friends, I believe we have this opportunity right now, right in front of us, to make very positive changes. I want to encourage us to convert the deep and righteous anger at injustice we're all feeling, injustice of all kinds, and turn it into constructive and consistent action. Friends, we've been working with, and as Pastor Dan just mentioned, the, the plea rubric, which invites us to pray to God. And I invite us to pray like we've never prayed before, to learn more, to learn and understand and, and gain insights, to engage with others, to talk about this and then acknowledge what God reveals to us. Let, let our hearts and minds be changed through this process. I be, may be so bold as to add a simple letter to that word plea and make the word plead out of it, a D. That we plead for justice and liberty for all. That we would D, do something constructive in this time. That we would do what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, to overcome evil by doing good. This is active. Doing nothing is doing nothing. Doing good is the very thing that will counterbalance and overcome the actions of evil that we see in our midst. Certainly, we want to take a deep dive into that whole rubric, and I encourage you to do so. But friends, I want you to consider what Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 31, verses 8 and 9, as we move to a close. It says these words, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Ensure justice for those who are being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and the helpless and see that they get justice. Friends, we believe in liberty and justice for all. But there's so much work to do to see all experience this liberty and justice. So friends, for some of us, this might mean coming alongside one of our amazing mission partners right here in the Chicago land area, like Breakthrough Urban Ministry, which is right there in Chicago, in Garfield Park, making day in and day out difference in the lives of those that are most being affected right now. Or Inner City Impact, which has a similar kind of ministry here, a little bit closer to home to us, 
But friends, I'm encouraging us to do more than just write a check one time or to visit one time and volunteer one time. It's to make a commitment where our life changes the patterns that we're in so that we can help change the patterns in our culture and society. And maybe, just maybe, some may want to take an even bolder step, a more lasting impact. And I'm just throwing these out as suggestions, friends. I'm not saying these are the only answers. I just want to see us motivated to take actions during this time while the iron is hot, as you will. Some might take the bold step of making a career change or choose a profession if you're not yet into a career that has a very direct impact on matters of racial injustice. Maybe you want to go to law school. Not necessarily the right thing for everybody, but maybe you can become a lawyer or get to be a judge where you can be there literally defending the cause of those who are being treated unjustly. Maybe you can become a social worker to become alongside children in their upbringing and, and families during their times of formation, even in schools where you can be one who helps people directly. Maybe you want to get involved with criminal justice to learn about it, to become equipped, to become one of those great, great police officers we have who serve and protect us all. Maybe you want to pursue education, to get into teaching, get a degree where you can be, and then choose to go to schools where you can have the most impact whether it's this area or some other place. Or maybe you want to go to divinity school and learn and grow to become a pastor, to become a person of influence or a missionary or some other form of Christian service. Friends, life-altering decisions like Ruth made, like Naomi made, bring to world change when we follow God's plan for us. I'm encouraging us to act in the direction of bringing about long-term and permanent change so that this year, 2020, and our generation will go down in history of one of the finest hours for us as God's people and for this nation that we love so very much. Will you pray with me? Precious Lord Jesus, you taught us to pray. Deliver us from evil. Lord, that is our cry to you today. Deliver us. Free us from the ingrained evil that plagues our society. Deliver us from evil in all its ugly forms. Lord, grant to each of us the courage to stand up and to do right and to indeed act redemptively. Give us the strength to persist in doing good until this tide is turned and the battle is won. Grant wisdom to us and our leaders to uproot once and for all the roots of oppression and patterns of injustice in our land. Lord, do bring comfort and hope to those who are broken in heart, depressed and grieving. Bring healing to each and every one. And bring your peace and calm to those who cannot even manage the anger and frustration that they're feeling. Bring your perfect peace to us all, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Friends, as we go out into our world this week ahead, it brings to mind that first group of believers that Jesus raised up and discipled. They were going out in a world that was very, very hostile to the God that they believed in. They had no idea what these people were talking about. There was rampant injustices across the world they were being sent out into. So Jesus told them, wait in Jerusalem. Wait before me and I'm going to empower you. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon you and I'm going to give you the strength to do what I'm asking you to do. So friends, with that thought in mind, receive this benediction. May the same Father God that poured out his mighty Holy Spirit on that first band of believers pour it out upon each and every one of us. May he fill us with power from on high. May he give us courage to stand up when we feel like falling down. May he give us grace to be patient and understanding when we just can't see or understand why others are doing things. And may he empower us and fill us with the baptism of his fire, the fire of his love, and clothe us moment by moment with the very compassion of Jesus. And may the Holy Spirit fill us with the fruit that he so longs to produce moment by moment in our lives, the fruit of love, of joy, of peace, of kindness, of gentleness, of faithfulness, and of self-control. May it be so that every place we set our feet and you set your feet this coming week and in the days ahead, you will carry with you the very fragrance, the sweet fragrance of Jesus' love. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, God bless you as you go.